morning we're just preaching one small section. But uh, the two weeks ago, when we were uh, trying to preach this sermon, I had asked our new executive pastor if we could entitle the sermon after Genesis 2, Naked and Unashamed. And he wisely said no. So instead, uh, we entitled it, Love as God Intended. And I think that is a perfect picture of what we're talking about. Love as God intended it to be. But the book of Song of Songs is the next stop in the often hard to read, hard to understand wisdom literature of the Bible. If you're counting, we have done Psalms, Israel's song book, recounting Israel's history and saying our God is king and he still reigns. Proverbs, that direct path of wisdom, walk in the path of wisdom and you will have life. Do not walk in God's way and you will have death. And Job, last time we were together, helps us to understand that the wisdom of God is not always the wisdom of man. And this week, we look at this book, The Song of Songs. If you think about it, it's like Lord of Lords or King of Kings. It is the ultimate song. Solomon wrote a lot of songs, 1,005, as the Bible says, to be exact. But this is his greatest work. Remember, God had given Solomon this spirit of wisdom, God's wisdom to be able to proclaim things in which we ought to understand how it works in the kingdom of God. So Proverbs is one of his books, and now the Song of Songs. It is love poetry at its finest. And the reason I wanted to call it Naked and Unashamed is because the author seems to take us back to the Garden of Eden. If you read the book, there's so much garden imagery in showing us how love was designed to be In the garden before the fall. In the garden, there was safety. There was security. There was fidelity. And there was enjoyment in the presence of God. And God's love flowed from him. So that the husband and the wife loved one another with a Deep love that God has designed for them to have in what we would call marriage. But we find out very quickly in the first few pages of the Bible that this love and marriage that is designed to reflect God's love towards his people is lost very quickly. As sin enters the world And then the problems arise, right? Not only in marriage, but from God's great gift of sex. In today's world, more than ever, there is massive sexual confusion. 
The Song of Songs actually speaks to our generation about the issues that we face. Pornography, adultery, homosexuality, gender identity. As this book gives us God's design in the marriage relationship as it relates to sex. The book gives us a picture of the king and his wife and their relationship. But not only does it give us this picture of the king and his bride, it also sings a larger song. A larger story of the Bible unfolding, of the glorious covenantal love that God has for his people. You see, Solomon, who is the son of David, the shepherd king, he is depicted in this song as the bridegroom who is desperately in love with his soon-to-be bride. And the picture of the whole narrative of Scripture is God pursuing this covenantal love with his people and the new covenant that Christ has as the bridegroom and his bride, the church. So pretty soon you're reading in Revelation at the end of the story and you understand what it means from the Song of Songs when it says in Revelation 22:17 the spirit and the bride talking about the church say come And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And this is the call at the end of the Bible for Jesus to return. As his bride says, come, Lord Jesus, come. So as we as the church await our blessed Savior and his return, let us not lose heart. The people of God need this word of God. The words of song of songs. Why? Because it is for us this morning. As we take a journey back to the Garden of Eden. How love between a husband and wife was intended to be a reflection of God's love for us and in our response to his love. All right? So let us open to this book, the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon in chapter 2, verse 1. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word this morning. The book opens the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Chapter 2, verse 1. Here we are this morning. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me 
was love. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You can be seated this morning. (laughs) Father, we ask that as we read this love poetry, that you would help us to sing a song in our hearts of the love that you have for us. May we find healing through this song. May we see your banner of love over us. And may we rest in your presence all the days of our life. Father, help us to find healing from hurts and wounds in this area of our life and find the truth of Scripture to be that which we cling to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've lost a lot of the sanctity of marriage in our culture today, but we still understand the symbols that are presented in a traditional wedding. You know, even when the beautiful bride is dressed in white, she is walking down the aisle, and usually it's in her father's arm, and she is presented to the bridegroom. At this moment, everyone is standing. It's, it's, the, it's the climax of the event as, as, the, as the father presents the beautiful bride to the bridegroom. You know, everyone is often looking at the bride and, and sometimes I'll get a glimpse at the groom to see his face as he sees his beautiful bride coming to him. I can remember 15 years ago in our church that Jordan and I were married in, there was no center aisle and I was standing in the center on the ground. And the doors in the back were opened And the music began to play and my heart leaped a bit and I could not see my beautiful bride. And at that very moment, I panicked. Because in the back, the people were standing, you could not see. And because the people on the side were standing, I could not see her walking down the aisle. And I began to go like this. And on the video, you can see me going like this, wondering, where is she? And uh, I look to the pastor, because that's sometimes what we do, right? We look to the pastor, what do we do here? And the pastor gently guided me this way. So that I could see down the aisle, see my beautiful bride as she came down the aisle. 
And when she came down the aisle, I awkwardly backpedaled, right? As I'm, as I'm backpedaling, so incredibly beautiful, I could not even imagine. But in this book of Song of Solomon, not only are we seeing this beauty and love in this context of marriage, this anticipation of the bride and the groom becoming one, we're also seeing what this marriage, this whole thing of marriage points us to. Paul actually, when he's in the New Testament instructing husbands and wives, tells us that marriage is actually pointing to something greater than a husband and a wife. It's the covenantal love of Christ and his church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us specifically, Paul says this, in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the instruction there is love your wives. Paul's telling his church in Ephesus, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up with, up for her. And then he's like, oh my goodness, I've got a lot to talk about here. The bride of Christ and Christ himself. And then he goes on, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Paul takes this to another level. He's talking about Christ and the church and cleansing her and presenting her in splendor without spot or wrinkle, pure white. But he's talking about Christ and the church. He goes on to say, even Genesis chapter 2 is speaking of the mystery of Christ and the church. He goes on in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And then Paul says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you Love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The mystery is the love that Christ has for the church, the two becoming one forever and eternity. As we await the marriage feast, the supper of the Lamb together in eternity as we, the people of God, await being one with Christ forever. So God has all these tangible experiences on this earth for us to see a glimpse of God himself, his love for us, how he operates, his character, his nature. Think about the, the expression of a father who gives his children good gifts. That 
is really to show our heavenly father. In the same way, marriage is to show God's love for us. But when sex and marriage are perverted, as it has been in today's society, many of us feel hurt and angst. And sometimes it's even hard to see God's gift of marriage and sex as reflecting his gospel, his grace, and his love. But praise God, we see in the Song of Solomon the good gifts that God has given, and we can teach our children the ways of God to understand how marriage does reflect God and his kingdom and his love for his church. If you're single this morning, you may be thinking, this does not apply to me. Well, these principles do apply just as much to you as those who are married. As either one, God has given you the gift of singleness, and you're able to support and encourage the marriages in our church as a member of this body of fellowship. Or number two, one day the Lord will bring you into a marriage And you will need to be taught these truths to help your marriage reflect the gospel. So let's dig in this morning to see if we can understand what this poetry says. All right. Chapter 2, verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This is the bride speaking. The soon-to-be bride she is speaking. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And then the bridegroom speaks as a lily among brambles. So is my love among the young women. And then she speaks and responds as an apple tree among the trees of the forest. So is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow. His fruit was sweet to my taste. So what do we have here? Number one. These first three verses, the point that we are going to make this morning is this. Love satisfies. God's love satisfies. Amen. Love does satisfy. In the preceding verses, well, it's, it's just interesting all over, right? Like in the first two verses of, of, the, of the Song of Solomon, we have... Alcohol and sex. Okay, so if you're a Baptist, this is really not going well. But at the end of the day here, uh, we are getting to the marriage and the consummation of marriage. Good thing we're not preaching that. But that is chapter 5. Hopefully someday we will preach that. But in the preceding verses, the king says how beautiful His soon-to-be bride is. Look at verse 15. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Not exactly what I would say, but it is uh, 
this expression of peace and beauty and love and gentleness. The eyes are the window to the soul. And he's exclaiming this. And she responds, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. All right. Well, we can get into that later. But this love is expressed through words. Remember, our point is love satisfies And their love for one another is expressed through words. And because of this expression of beauty, the bride is modestly, and I use that term modestly, modestly confident in who she is. The, The woman describes herself as a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. But if you read carefully... And you must read carefully in the Song of Solomon. She describes herself as a rose of Sharon. As a lily in the valleys. She describes herself as a wild flower in the plain of many wild flowers. One among many. Others like me. But the king, if you look carefully, describes her as a lily among brambles or a lily among thorns. She is one in a million, a lily among the brambles. She is a flower among the thorns. She is the one. You see that in the text? And keeping with this garden theme, the woman describes, again, a flower and now a tree. Describes this shepherd king as an apple tree in the middle of of the forest. He is the one tree in the middle of many trees. So God's plan in marriage is very clear. Genesis 2, we read that earlier from Ephesians, but it's one man and one woman for life. That's the definition that God has established for marriage. There's only one. So Solomon is giving us God's wisdom in the Song of Songs, the ultimate of his 1,005 songs. But it is pretty interesting here that this is coming from a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he is sharing us the wisdom of that there is one. Okay. You know, some commentators actually believe that Abishag, the Shunammite, who comforted King David on his deathbed, is actually the Shulamite woman of the Song of Songs. If that were the case, this would have been written towards Solomon's first wife. Either way, this is written about his first wife, or looking back at what should have been in Solomon's life. This would make sense if Solomon, David's son, would have read Deuteronomy 17 and the instructions for the king. 
just as Proverbs was written to his son as obedience to the instructions of Deuteronomy 17 to teach his son the law, and he creatively does that through the Proverbs, Solomon would have also understood what it says about the king of Israel in Deuteronomy 17, which it says this in verse 17, and he, speaking of the king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. But Solomon doesn't listen to the wisdom of God. He doesn't listen to his own wisdom in the Proverbs, nor the Song of Songs. But praise the Lord, we have the wisdom of God written by Solomon here. So let's continue here. Verse 3. As an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. So he is the one. She's saying he is the one tree. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. There is delight. There is joy in the relationship. Why? Because there is trust. She feels safe and satisfied and happy. And as a result, she rests in the shadow of the tree and tasted its fruit. Now, where do we see this before? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. The picture of the tree in the middle of the garden and taking rest under the shadow of the Lord himself, tasting of the tree of life as the only one. The picture of marriage that reflects the gospel as there's oneness and true fidelity in the relationship as each views their spouse as the one and are thus satisfied There's also this picture of the church's love for Christ as his love is truly the only one that will satisfy. We can choose to rest our life and our heart. We can desire Christ alone or we can desire another tree. But in the end, any other tree's fruit will lend itself to being a fake or a phony and end in destruction. Eve chose the other tree. Eve chose the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil to test the boundaries of God's word, to come out from under the rest Of the Lord himself. And we must delight in God himself. And taste and eat of faith. That God's way is best. You see. True love satisfies. The love of God truly does satisfy. Whereas the worldly desires. They will fade away. 1 John 2.16 
declares this, for all that is in the world, the other trees in the garden, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, only God's love will satisfy us completely. Mm. And in the marriage relationship, we are only to have satisfaction from our spouse. You see how this marriage picture is now beginning to show in marriage between the church and God? The Garden of Eden, oneness of God, the tree, resting in his presence, not choosing another. Now look what happens next. He brought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. It's getting a little hot in here, I understand. No, but hold your horses for a minute. Understand the context. That's in chapter 5 and 6, which we'll get to the consummation of marriage. But we're not there today. It's in a public banquet hall, okay? Okay. Verse 7, they're addressing the daughters of Jerusalem. So there's other peoples around. This is a public place. The banner is the public display of his affection. So this is point number two. Love is on display for all to see. And you can even put in there, God's love is on display for all to see. You see, the king, he brings the bride to the banquet house, literally the house of wine, okay? And it's for this feast. It's for this celebration. We have many indications in Scripture that these feasts were associated with weddings. Think of it as maybe an engagement party or a rehearsal dinner. As the bride says, his banner over me was Love, what a statement. Amen. A banner would be like a flag or a sign that one would fly. A public display of affection for his bride. And the bride said, his banner over me is love. Mm. What's the banner that you fly over your spouse? Mm. Is it resentment? Is it pain, heartache? Or can your spouse say, the banner over me is love? We know the banner over us all is love of Christ. Amen? Remember the promise 
of God is that the son of David will reign forever. He will build the temple, the promised one in the line of David that we read about in the prophets. Solomon is the son, but he is not it. He's not the Messiah. He's not the promised one. He's a type, a shadow of the one who will come, who is Christ, who will be the son of David, who will build the ultimate temple. We will be in the presence of God. The public display of love for Christ was the cross. We can say that as the church, his banner over me was love because of what he did upon the cross. You see, the son of David who would give his life, he would show his love for us by dying on the cross. Isaiah 53 gives us this picture. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. His banner over me is love. You see, it's this great display of love of God that draws us to him. We, the church, the bride of Christ, sit back and say, wow, he did that for me? You know, when he hung upon the cross, there was a sign above his head that read, King of the Jews. The banner over us, the sign above our head is is love. God's love for us. Husbands, you want your wife to desire you like these next two verses? Love her like Christ loved the church. Publicly display your love by your sacrificial love in action. Look at what the response is. To this public banner of love. Verse five, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. She's basically saying, take me now, all right? Raisins are an aphrodisiac. This is not in any way a perverted type of love. This is a proper response from a bride who sees her groom as the one and wants to give herself to him because of the sacrificial love he has shown to her. This ought to be 
truly the church's response to the gospel. Our delight is in Christ who is our life. We desire to give of our whole life to Christ because the banner over us is love. You see, the opposite of this would be displayed in Hosea as God describes the people of Israel as an adulterous people, an adulterous love that gives ourself to others in idolatry, worshiping the things of the world and not the one true God. You see, the church, the people of God, respond to the gospel with a love for God that he is our joy, he is our fulfillment. We take rest in him. We want to be in his presence. And Revelation speaks of this as the final marriage supper. Revelation 19, verse 6 Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the peals of thunder crying out. Listen to what they say. The multitude is saying at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So you understand what is taking place here. It's the gathering of the saints at the end of days. And they're singing a song. And they're rejoicing Because now they are clothed in white and presentable to the King of kings and the Lord of lords as clean and washed and holy. And he is standing there waiting for them to come to him. That's us. That's the church. That's who we are. Why? Because he washed us. He cleansed us. He made us holy. And when we walk down the aisle, he is waiting for us. As Christ waits for his church. And this is beautiful. But my question to you, church, is will you be there? Will you be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Will you give your life to another? You see, God has displayed his love for his bride, the church, upon the cross. How will you respond as the bride? Will you be Gomer? Some of us have been Gomer. And God still runs after us. He goes after us and he presents us as holy and righteous and clean Our God desires us. It's an amazing truth. Verse 7. 
I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There's a warning here written to the people seeing this beautiful picture of love between the shepherd king and the Shulamite woman. They see them embrace and she says, hold up. Do this in the way that God has designed for it to be. Wait upon the Lord. Don't take this out of context to fulfill your own desires. There's a warning about marriage and sex that if you take it out of context, it can harm and be very hurtful and painful. So this is the last point this morning. Perverted love distorts God's design. Perverted love distorts God's design. The bride is is basically warning those around that they should wait for marriage to have sex. Not so that they have to not have enjoyment. Sometimes we feel like God's holding us back from things. That's not it. That's not it. But that we can have the most enjoyment. You see that? The most enjoyment is God's way. Some would say, well, God always is holding me back from my desire and what I want. And I would say that God's way is better than what you feel today. And and we've missed this as a church and the teaching on this and abstinence and all these things. God's way is better. You want most enjoyment in marriage, wait. Because that's God's plan. I grew up with True Love Waits, the program that taught young people not to have sex until marriage. It was good, but it fell short in one key area. Sure, it gave all the reasons for me to wait until marriage. I want to save myself from my spouse. I want to not get STDs. I don't want to sin against my brother. I don't want to sin against another person's spouse. But the real reason we stay pure is because it glorifies God. It is the picture. Marriage and sex is this picture of God's covenantal love and design. And any perversion of that, adultery, fornication, pornography, homosexuality, etc., 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 is anti-Christ. Is anti-gospel. Sexual immorality is against God and his word. And the picture in which he's presenting of his love. So why do we not do these things? It's not so we cannot get an STD. It's because it glorifies our God and we love him so much. Right?
So if it's not done in the context in which God has designed it, it profanes his name and the picture he set up of Christ in the church. Church, we do not want to profane the name of Christ. But what if we have profaned this picture? What if we have lived in sexual immorality? What if we are living in sexual immorality? What if we don't feel as the woman dressed in the white dress presenting herself to the bridegroom? Jesus speaks to us. Still. When he went to the woman at the well, the woman at the well did not feel like she was the bride dressed in white presented to the bridegroom. The woman at the well, Jesus is speaking to those who have been broken by and in sexual sin. Jesus, the bridegroom, comes to her asking for a drink of water. The next conversation leads to she's had five husbands and the man she is now with is not her husband. But Jesus tells her of something else, of living water that you must drink from. And what is he referring to in this living water? I think, I think he's referring back to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to what it says. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Instead of drinking from the living water, instead of taking from the tree of life, they have dug out own cisterns. They have dug their own wells that cannot hold water. They are broken. This woman is trying to dig her own well by trying to find love through her relationships. She's trying to find love through the first husband, the second husband, the third husband, the fourth husband, the fifth husband, and the man that she is with. And Jesus says, drink of the living water. You see, only God's love will satisfy. So for those who are struggling with sexual immorality, this is what Jesus says to you. Do not keep digging new holes. Go back to the satisfying love of Christ and drink from him alone. This is what Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what the Shunammite, the Shunammite woman says. She says, 
I sat in the shadow as fruit was sweet to my taste. I sat down in the shadow of the tree. Drink from the living water. God has chosen you as he chose Gomer. And he wants to sanctify you and make you his beautiful bride. So don't stop your sexual immorality because it's bad. Stop your sexual immorality because you love God so much. God does not tolerate his church. This is a quote, by the way, I read. God does not tolerate his church. He does not ignore her. He does not wake up in the morning thinking he married the wrong girl. Familiarity does not dampen his passion. Eternity will seem like a moment to him because of his love for her. That's you. That's you, church. Our God desperately loves you. So if you don't get anything from this message, understand that our God loves you so much. And he wants you to love him back. It's the beauty of the gospel. He wants the church to reflect the beautiful covenant relationship that he has with them. Church, we can learn a lot from the Song of Solomon. But it is amazing to see God's love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a new heart, a new mind, that you have cleansed us, that you have taken us. placed us in your presence. We are not worthy of that, Lord. Sometimes we feel very unworthy. Yet you continue to pursue us. Help us to love as you have loved us. Help us to respond in faith, obedience, to your word with our life the truths of scripture help us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to but also to be reminded that the banner over us is love for we are your people your church your bride. 